In a sport widely known as the sport of kings, Jessica Paquette worked her way up the ladder using her stubborn and spiteful spirit. Equestrian sports are strenuous enough if you aren't a product of nepotism, but the highly dominated male industry of horse racing is even more competitive to break into. As the voice of Parks Racing, Jessica got very candid with me about the challenges she has faced not only with the derogatory talk about how she got her position, but also overcoming a back and brain injury from a riding accident to call the fast-paced races and compete in hunter and equitation arenas with her horse Yellow, and using that experience to win over the haters. I will preface this episode by saying there is real talk about the salacious accusations made to and about women, not only in this business, but many others. As a woman, this kind of talk is not only immature, but it also places many women in downright dangerous situations. Now, let's get to business. everybody, I am your host Tatiana Ryan and today I am here with the gorgeous, the wonderful sparkling personality and the <laughs> voice of Parks Racing, the only U.S. female race caller for Thoroughbred Racing, Jessica Paquette. Jessica, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Good morning. It's uh, you know not really a beautiful day here, but it's still a great day to be at the racetrack. Really excited to chat with you. Uh, any day is a fun day at the track, you know, especially Parks. We love it. So you have always been in the equine industry, but more on the competitive side than the actual race calling and the thoroughbreds. How did you get into horses themselves? So I got into racing as a kid. Um, I was a, a, we didn't grow up with a lot of money and I was a horse crazy kid living in a city. So for me, the racetrack was kind of the first way I could find and be around horses. Like I took once a week lessons growing up as a kid, but we really couldn't afford much. So as soon as I could drive to Rockingham Park, I found the racetrack. And I also was involved with Kids to the Cup, which was an organization in the late 90s and early 2000s um, that was designed to bring young people into the sport. And it really succeeded. A bunch of us kind of met on message boards and like talked about our favorite horses. We were very popular in school, obviously. And... (laughs) Trudy McCaffrey, John DeSantis, Kate Bradar, they kind of devoted a real chunk of time and money and effort into bringing us to the Breeders' Cup and the Triple Crown races. And the testament to uh, Trudy McCaffrey's vision is that probably 70% of the kids that were in Kids the Cup are working in the sport still. That's a great thing. That is a great thing. because It was life-changing for all of us. And she, for none of, I mean, none of us were born into the sport and it can be tough to kind of find your way in if the stork didn't drop you off right at the door. And because of the connections and the friendships that we got to make because of Trudy and Johnny D and Caton, you know, we had people and we had a way in and it was life-changing for all of us. Now, a lot of people talk about the horse industry being not only like a business itself where a lot of people get shuffled in through their family and stuff like that, but also it becomes family. It absolutely does for me. And I think our entire sense of self gets woven up into what we do in the racing industry or the horse industry. Um, You know, this isn't what I do. This is who I am. So that's great. That is a wonderful thing. Like I'm very lucky, but that also comes with like the occasional existential crisis too, when your entire sense of self is a part of this. Yeah. You said on Christmas, you were out feeding horses, weren't you? 
I was. So I wanted to give the folks that work at the bar. I, I, I keep my yellow horse, my the one I'm actively showing at a really lovely full service barn. But, you know, it's Christmas morning. Like I don't have kids and some of these folks do let them have Christmas morning with their families. So I volunteered to go feed all the horses. I got up super early because I also wanted to run. So we had a nice early morning with the horses. And then that afternoon, I drove six hours from Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, because we raced on Tuesday. Wow. Oh, yeah. my gosh. You are. Wait, so okay. you also do marathons also. <laughs> You're not just yeah. a horse person. Not just a horse person. So I'm a really average rider. I show, um, I have a uh, Clydesdale thoroughbred that I show in the equitation, the hunters and the jumpers. He's kind of a do it all sort of horse. We do like the two, six, two, nine, like we are not going to the Olympics. He makes me look a lot better than I am. I broke my back in a riding accident two years ago oh on a young horse. Um, so I'm just very grateful to be able to do any anything really at this point I couldn't walk for like five days and then was in a back race for four months so coming back riding and running from that was really challenging but he's a saint he takes really good care of me and I also do I run marathons I've run three since my accident hey you know what I always say if you can't run they will run for you and that's they will horses (laughs) they they really they take care of you and they give they all give us the wings that we lack Mm -hmm. now how did you get into the role of the parks racing and becoming the actual voice of parks. I flew real close to the sun, I think, (laughs) and said yes to a lot of things. So in 2014, I was working at Suffolk Downs at the time as the VP of communications and marketing and also the broadcast analyst and handicapper. And a tornado came through Revere, which is unusual. That is not the kind of weather we have in New England. Somehow we were still going to run that day. That's the part that I look back on. I go, how were we racing after a tornado? But it's fine. Um, But we're getting closer and closer to post time. And our announcer, T.D. Thornton, called and said, I'm stuck in traffic. You know, the roads are closed because of a tornado. And I was the only one there that could actually, in theory, call a race. So we like literally broke into the announcer's booth because he had the only key and kept the door locked. So there's a metaphor in there somewhere. Um, broke into the announcement booth. There was no time to prepare or anything. I just kind of muddled through it. And it was the greatest thrill. And I thought it was so fun. And I also thought it was a one-off and never really thought about it again until a couple of years later, Sam Houston, uh, I had done some handicapping for them during the pandemic. And as kind of the world was opening up, they needed a fill-in for their quarter horse meet. Well, uh, because Chris Griffin had actually come to parks. And they asked if I wanted to try a weekend. And I said, hey, why not? At this point, my approach to everything was, why not? <laughs> um, and so I did a weekend of quarter horse racing. And it wasn't good. It was, I mean, I, I was neon green and I had a really good time. Then the next year, did it, get, did it again, another weekend and some thoroughbreds. And by the time, the end of it, I was like, oh, I would really like to do this, like, for real. I bet if I, like, could really get in a rhythm and, you know, get the reps. I'm like, I bet I, I could do it. So I kind of put that out into the universe that I was like, by the time I'm 40, I want to, I want to be a race caller or I want to have like my own little meet somewhere. I was thinking a little smaller. <laughs> and then I had come to parks for the past two years on Pennsylvania Derby Day to kind of help out and act as the paddock host and interviews and things like that. And I loved working with the team here. They were, I mean, just the best TV crew in the business. And I think that, I mean, they liked working with me too. So when Chris was moving on to New York, and Monmouth and all of the things he was doing, they said, hey, we know you have almost no experience. You've called like 50 races. <laughs> Most of them are quarter horses going 250 yards, but you know, do you want to try this? And I said, why not? <laughs> and, and I do understand it's a, it was a big signal for someone um, with no experience. I understand. And it's a big signal to make every mistake that every single announcer makes doing something for the first time. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that was leads into my next question. You took a lot of heat. I mean, a lot of heat when you first stepped into those shoes because <laughs> the batters themselves are rough. They're really rough. They are. And, you know, some, some of it was certainly warranted. Like, you know, you're, I was a little slow coming out of the gate for sure. And I appreciated the constructive criticism because, again, this was all really new. And unlike every single one of my peers, I didn't have someone to model myself after as a kid. Like all of my friends who are announcers, they grew up wanting to do this. And they grew up as little kids calling into their little tape recorder, trying to be Tom Durkin or trying to be Dave Johnson. And I had never seen a woman doing this. So I didn't think this was a job for me. I'd never, it was not a thing I envisioned myself doing. So I had never, you know, prepared for the past 20 years. So it was a lot of learning on the fly. And I, I really, the constructive criticism from people, um, even some of, the, some of it that was a little harsh was really appreciated and really valuable. You know, the salacious accusations about how I got the job, less so. And I don't think they would have made those sort of comments to any male doing this. I don't think anyone's implied that, you know, Jason Beam slept his way to the top. Mm-hmm. It's the, you know, it, it's the lowest common denominator. And it's the, um, I, th- I think that's the thing that men will lob when they have nothing clever to say. Now, how did you get the gumption to keep doing this and keep saying, okay, well, I'm going to keep coming back and I'm going to prove you all wrong. I'm really stubborn and very spiteful. So those are two <laughs> big motivating things. But at a certain point, there was no, you know, there was no going backwards. It was kind of sink or swim and figure it out. And it was, I, you know, I got a little bit better each week. And there was the occasional like little bit of um, t- like tips or feedback I would get that would kind of like, aha, uh-huh, light bulb. And then I'd kind of get to a next level. And then you kind of take a step back and then you go sideways and you make some mistake and you're mortified. And and it mostly is just, for me, um, horse showing has really actually been a helpful mindset to take to this. You don't let one bad jump ruin your entire round, or you shouldn't. I mean, I sometimes do. My trainer wishes I wouldn't. But, you know, you chip into the first fence. What do you do for the next eight? Do you, you know, you you try to you know, take each one individually and, you know, the ad leg move forward. That's the only way. This podcast is brought to you by Castle Rock Winery. The diverse professionals at Castle Rock Winery, with awards from the most scrutinous names in the business to show, painstakingly select the most flavorful regions of California to bring you the top producing harvest the market has to offer. From a beautiful selection of Pinot Noirs, Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, and more. Oh, I cannot forget to mention the dressage collection. Ordering is easy when you visit CastleRockWinery.com. And if you have any questions, someone is always there to help you through email, by phone, or any of Castle Rock Winery's social media platforms. It really is just that easy with Castle Rock Winery. Don't hesitate. Visit and order today. Since your start, so many new rules have been accepted by HESA and... all the changes that are now just like flourishing in the thoroughbred industry. What are your feelings as a race caller when you have that lineup and say a thoroughbred gets scratched, you know, because of all of these new rules, how do you change your mindset as to like the last minute things to prepare? I I support anything that keeps our equine and human athletes safer and makes for a more fair product for the betters, for the horse players, for the fans. So, you know, late scratches and stuff doesn't bother me. It's one less for me to have to keep in my brain. Sometimes, you know, with a big field, one scratches and I go, oh, okay. 
<laughs> we have some big fields today. I wouldn't mind a few scratches today. <laughs> like, there's nothing that will give you hives as an announcer than like 12 cheap maidens going seven furlongs because from the shoot, like you can re can't really see them coming into the gate in the last race of the day in December when it's dark. Like, <laughs> oh, and now it's, and it's raining today. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. It's great. Well, that's how do you deal with the nerves also? Because I'm sure you had like part of this stuttering and stuff like that. And, and the things that because you're it's verbal, it's all verbal coming out. Mm -hmm. And you have all those nerves to begin with. How did you overcome that? So I had a really hard time with the memorization early on in my accident mm -hmm. where I broke my back a couple of years ago. I also had a traumatic brain injury. And mm -hmm. I may have a little bit overestimated how well my brain had healed and I had to learn some you know tips and tricks for myself that worked for the memorization because you're getting all this advice from people memorize like this do it Tom Durkin's way do it this way and mm -hmm. it's a trial and error to find what works for your brain especially because mine's gotten knocked around a couple of times so now that I like once I figured that all out that got a lot better and that kind of helped um, you know if you're not reaching for a horse's name it all comes out a lot smoother so that's mm -hmm. been very that was very helpful and then you know the nerves were certainly a part of it um i am again going back to horse showing i'm very good at kind of swallowing my nerves and like kind of separating myself from them a little bit mm -hmm. uh that really came in handy on pennsylvania derby day because i was washing out a little bit about that mm -hmm. yeah but you want but you want to do a good job on every day like every race every day so it's you know for as harsh as the, you know, some of the trolls in the internet can be, I guarantee mm -hmm. no one's worse to them, worse to me than I am to me. Well, that's a good thing that, you know, sometimes you're hard on yourself, but mm -hmm. being a woman in the industry, in the position mm -hmm. you're at, are you excited to see all these new changes? Are you, Absolutely. are you scared for the girls that are going to come into it and, and like preparing them for it? if I do one thing in this sport, it's that I make the path a little easier for a generation of women behind me because I got where I got because of women like Jill Byrne and Lynn Snearson and Kate Bradar who took the arrows in different places, you know, for women in broadcasting or for women in the front side of racing. And those are women that I've you know looked up to and have been mentors and friends for my entire career. And if I can be that person to a younger gener generation of women, it's yeah, that's the legacy I want to leave. Well, you're not only doing this, you've had quite a bit of media buzz. Also, New York Times has written about you. You've, you've been, you know, very well broadcast with FanDuel. You're on FanDuel all the time doing your picks and stuff. I get around a little bit. So in my other job, because horses are expensive, so I do kind of keep myself very busy. Uh, I also do some PR and crisis comms and media relations. I work for Conover Tuttle Pace, an ad agency in Boston, mm -hmm. and we have clients that include the NTRA and FanDuel and the Breeders' Cup. So it's a great opportunity for me to keep keep busy outside of the booth, too. Yeah, yeah. Now, this year, with the 50th anniversary of Secretariat and the impact of horse racing, the indomitable spirit of Penny Chenery, who was another amazing female who took that horse from nothing and made it into what the horse was today. How special was it for you to actually be involved in this industry with Gina Antonucci, with Archangelo, with the Breeders' Cup, and seeing these amazing women that are now flourishing alongside you? 
it's just an honor and empowered women empower women so like a rising tide raises all ships a win for one of us in any avenue of the sport is a win for everybody so the more women that get to succeed and that get chances there are so many women kind of all across the country that are training great horses jenna Brittany russell and plenty of, there are just so many folks in all sorts of parts of the sport uh, you know, it's it's nice to see. And I think women work really well together when we raise each other up. Brittany's another big name. She's always fun to watch because she is, and unless you're engulfed in the sport outside of just the main races, she's always up there. She She's great. I love when she comes to parks. To me, she's like a superwoman. She has beautiful children and a family. And she, I, I know it, it must be hard, but she makes it look so easy juggling it all. Now you have three horses yourself. You, you mentioned yellow, mm -hmm. the the one horse. Now, do you bounce between Boston and Philadelphia now too? And every week. I, li I still keep my home in Massachusetts and my horses and dogs are there. So I drive down to parks usually on Pennsylvania on Sunday night and drive home Wednesday night. It's a long day. Now you're showing yellow. Do you do that weekly or do you just whenever you get the chance or when is that? Throughout the summer, we'll kind of fit in as many shows as we can. We, I'd also chase points and try to qualify for mass finals. I'm hoping to go to New England finals this year if I'm brave enough to mm -hmm. do two nine three foot equitation. I also like am a five foot tall potato, so I don't know how the equitation judges are really going to be impressed by me. But I uh, am my Palomino horse. But we're gonna it, we have a lot of fun. Um, so we can go wherever we can. We're going to go to Ohio to the World Equestrian Center in March, um, last week of February, early March, which is kind of a big fun fancy away show. We're um, to me, that feels like a vacation. And then I have my two retired thoroughbreds, uh, What a Trippy, who raced at Suffolk Downs. He's the greatest souvenir and partner of my life. He's going to be 20 this year. He, I've had him for about 15 years. I've known him since he was three. He was a great racehorse. Uh, he was a great show hunter for me and just a horse of a lifetime. And then I also have Puget Sound, who um did not really come off the track Puget Sound. He mm -hmm. came off track quite unsound and with EPM. So he is a really pretty funny pasture ornament oh but then you know what you're you're giving them the life that they deserve so that's the he good deserved thing. it now we just saw a lot on social media uh at the london horse show the jockeys taking part in the actual jumping there how important do you think it is for jockeys to get involved in in the other parts of the equestrian world and a lot of times just the social media and the media world like Mike Smith had said he had been approached for doing Dancing with the Stars. I think that's great. I think anything that can showcase to a broader mainstream audience, whether it is just a non-horsey audience like Dancing with the Stars or to the other equestrian sides of the sport, um, it shows what great athletes they are. And, I mean, watching them do the London Horse Show, it's just amazing. They, for jockeys that don't jump regularly, I mean, they put me to shame. And it they are our greatest ambassadors, I think, in some ways about the versatility and how amazing thoroughbreds are. So I love seeing them get to do things like that. Or like Aaron Grider in the Retired Racehorse Project, taking the time and participating in things. Uh, I'm sorry, the Real Rider Cup. But taking the time and participating in things like that is really important if they can. Now, you're not only calling, like I said, you do some FanDuel picks. You give people your picks as to who's going to win. What is your secret for picking horses? I think it's important to just pay attention. Um, coming from Suffolk Downs, which was a pretty low level track for a long time, I learned, I got to learn with, you know, horses. I got to see a lot of, you know, not, these, these weren't world beaters. So you learn to really pay attention and 
the, the horse that taught me the most, this is uh, one of my favorite uh, old Suffolk Down stories. There was a horse named Christmas Away, trained by Mike Collins, who was actually Skip Away's first stakes winner. Um, this is how old and long ago this was. And by the time Christmas got to Suffolk, he was, you know, kind of an old bottom claimer. And there would be days where Christmas would come into the paddock, like bucking, squealing like a three-year-old. Those were the days Christmas would win. When Christmas came in quiet, like draw a line through him that day. So it really, he was a horse that really taught me to pay attention to the horse in front of you today, not let necessarily the horse that you're looking at in the form. All right, girlfriend, you're a quick one. <laughs> we raced through all of these questions. <laughs> and where can people find you on social media? Yeah, on Twitter, you, can, you can mostly see me feeding my horses baked goods at JM Paquette. My entire <laughs> social media feed lately is just giving them donuts and candy and cookies and all sorts of things. Um, also on Instagram at JM Paquette. And I think my Facebook is the same at JM Paquette. I'm kind of easy to find. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you get back to memorizing those horses, getting ready for the races. And you said that I can come visit you one day in any time. That, I'm not going to work to do that then. <laughs> it's the best view in the house. Awesome. Jessica, thank you so much. My name is Tatiana. I am here with Jessica Paquette, who took the time out to talk to us about being the only U.S. female race call caller in at Parks, Ben Salem. If you get a chance, go out there, check out the races, bet on some ponies, win some money. Jessica, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me.